This is Oversharing with Mikhail Alphon. What is up, you lovely listener? Welcome to another episode of Oversharing. As always, I am super pumped for today's episode, but for this one in particular, because our guest today is the founder and CEO of Genius Juice, the original coconut smoothie beverage brand with a mission to be a zero-waste company. Genius Juice was actually featured on Shark Tank, and the presentation was absolutely incredible. And today, we're not just going to talk about the road to Shark Tank, but we're also going to talk about the importance of mentorship, the importance of listening to other people to understand how to navigate your goals, and the importance of setting a finish line for yourself so you never lose momentum when approaching them. But before I speak too much, let's allow Alex Bayer to overshare. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Really cool to you know finally have a, a reconnect in yeah. a serendipitous way, and it's good timing because you know I'm, we're all captive audience, right? We're at home and we're around Zoom all the time, so it's I think a perfect time to be on Zoom and sharing with each other. A hundred percent. You know what I've had in my head for the last couple of weeks? Um, how does it go? Walking on down the street. <laughs> drinking my genius juice. I'm like, dude, that beat is actually pretty sick to the listener. Alex put out a music video for Genius Juice and it's actually it's actually a pretty catchy hook. I like that. Did you write that? Yeah, so uh, making me uh, turn red a little bit. So my friend did the backing for it, you know, like the beats for it. Mm-hmm. It's a friend of mine. His name's Martin Blastic out of Hollywood. He has a little studio. And then I came up with the lyrics. And what's really funny is you know, it's overshare, right? To be with the theme here is that when we taped the video, we, I just recorded the song. So oh. I, I didn't even know all the lyrics to the song. <laughs> now I know it by heart because I listen to it like every other day. I love it. I actually love the song. When we were editing the video, right? It's a video on YouTube. We used it for a fundraising platform. My friend who did the editing had to find scenes where I actually was mouthing the right lyrics. <laughs> literally, if you ask me now, which I, will, I won't do it for the entire time, but I could literally go through an entire verse rhyme without even tripping over it. So. <laughs> I'm going to have to take you up on that one time. Maybe when, when bars start opening up again, everybody can hang out. We'll do a karaoke night and that'll be the song that we choose. Now you're speaking my language. (laughs) I love that, man. So speaking of recording this music, everything like that, in my head, I was like, I wonder if you wanted to be like a hip hop artist when he was growing up. But I'd love to know from you, what were you like in high school? Southern California Jewish man getting into hip hop, right? So... You know, the Beastie Boys did something similar. It's not too crazy. Yeah, Modest Yahoo. (laughs) He's he's, he's hip Jews. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in uh, Southern California. I grew up in Powell's Verdes. Went to school, middle school in Pals Verdes, went to high school in Pals Verdes, went to college up in Central Coast. I've always been like a super conservative, introverted person, which a lot of people don't really see that in me. I'm a thinker. I'm very meticulous, very detailed. During the day, I'm very, very social. At night, I just shut it all down and I recover, right? And like people that are introverted recover alone. People that people that are extroverted, you know, recover with others. So that's been my personality for a very long time. And I wanted to find ways to get out of my own shell. Out of college, which again, like college, totally introverted. I had like two friends. I was actually proud of that because those two friends are still my friends to today. So quality over that's quality. Awesome. 
And I wanted to do something to get me out of my comfort zone. I decided to join a sales company called Aflac. <laughs> and I'm like, if there's something that's going to force me to talk to people, especially because I'm on a 100% commission, like <laughs> I can't <laughs> sit in an office. I have to like go out there and sell and like interact with people. That's when I started learning about how to interact with people, how to connect with people. I sat down with thousands and thousands of people selling insurance. Part of selling insurance is you ask a lot of questions like, how are you? Like, how, what's, what's going on in your life right now? What, you know, do you have any health conditions? How can I help you? What kind of plan is great for you? So I really learned how to have a personal connection with people and with that job. It was really, really valuable. It's interesting that you say that you were, you're not extroverted by nature. Because for me, people tell me kind of the same thing. They don't believe me when I say I'm actually... You know, I guess they call it an ambivert. But if it wasn't for a job at In-N-Out, I was doing the cash register. Like I had to see a thousand people every day, and I was forced to smile every day. So it's interesting that you learned from that at like a young age. That kind of shapes that later on. I got to say, you mentioned in your song you were trying to find a track to Venus. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> were, were you big in science? Yeah, you know, I just I was trying to I was staying with the whole entire kind of like mad professor, mad scientist theme, like with our brand. What's interesting is I've always been uh, right brain, not left brain. So I've never been in the science. I got a C minus in biology mm. and all every kind of science course. And uh, I've really been more about connecting, more about sales, more about psychology and how people think, why people do what they do, what is the motivation behind someone. And you know, when someone does something. It's from an emotional place, right? Not from a rational place because we're human beings and you know we're primordial, right? Like we're thousands of years old, right? Our, our blood. So it's all psychology that really fascinates me with how people work. And really, most importantly in my business, why people buy. Like why does a person want to buy our product? Why does a person want to invest in Genius Juice? So these are all things that I really consider. Anyway, going off on a big tangent, but it's very fascinating to learn human behavior. You know, so I love that about you and actually, the, and the product that you've developed actually, because you're not, I don't want to put you in a box and I want this to sound a weird way, but you're not the typical, like, all right, I created this health drink, it's good in nutrients and all of this. You know, you get a lot of these fitness enthusiasts, things like that. But you're, it seems as if you're more interested in like the emotional side. Or, I mean, you mentioned, you're more uh, interested in the emotional side. Why are people buying so on and so forth? So I'd love to hear like the origin stories of Genius Juice and really how it started. I know that you spent a lot of time. It sounds like you tried like hundreds of different coconuts before you landed on the one that you actually did land on. So what was that journey like for you? Uh, it's been a long, really long journey. Um, I started Genius Juice about six and a half years ago, like in late 2013. And I discovered the idea from a friend of mine. Um, I actually, believe it or not, you know, which I was miserable there, but I had an office job. I became friends with someone there. He eventually invited me back to his house with his family to have dinner. For dessert, his wife cracked open a young Thai coconut and scooped out the meat, poured out the water and blended it. And I remember it was this, like, vi like this vibrant white creaminess to it. And I'm like, this, this is amazing. I tried it. This is genius. Like this <laughs> is genius blending the whole coconut. So that was really the impetus of where I came up with the idea. But it also came from, I guess the true origin is that when I was doing sales, I would always take a smoothie with me. 
every morning. I'm like, what is something quick, mm-hmm. healthy, that's not going to weigh me down and I can like kind of nurse it for a couple hours and it gives me sustained energy for half the day, right? Without having to have a burrito or a burger, just something light and healthy and clean. Mm-hmm. I felt that was missing from every store shelf, a true thick, creamy smoothie. So from there in 2014, I played around with different coconuts, like you were mentioning, you know, right. Brazilian, Mexican, Sri Lankan, and nothing had the taste of a young Thai coconut. Like Thai coconut was the best in the world, the sweetest in the world. And I'm like, if I'm going to do this right, especially in America, where people have a sweet tooth, got to go with the Thai coconut. So that's how we developed the product, developed what went in it. But still to this day, you know, we still have ethics, right? And principles that we live by on the quality of our product. So we're not adding gums, fillers, emulsifiers. We don't add natural flavors. We don't add sugars to it. Mm. There's no water added. I mean, you'll be... So many beverages add water to it. Like just, you know, they fill, they water it down, 90% water. Ours is like 100% whole coconut blended and put into a bottle. It's so stupidly simple. That is genius. <laughs> you copyright that. Yeah. Dude. So stupidly I, simple. It's genius. That's I genius. love how like branded you are. I watched a couple of your videos on, uh, on YouTube and like you dropped that a couple of times. And I don't know. I absolutely loved it. It's cool that you kind of planted that in, in my head for sure. And I'm sure if anybody else watches what you do, I, it's going to be the same thing as well. I was actually watching those videos and I was like, Oh, that kind of looks like the Philippines. I hope he got. I'm Filipino. I was like, I hope he got these uh, from the Philippines. And then you said it was Thai. I was like, oh, that's fine too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> neighboring, uh, neighboring country, kind yeah. of. Not even. No, yeah. that's not. That's they're not neighbors. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not. I'm not good at geography. I wasn't good at science either. <laughs> it's all good. I was. I'm also right-brained. So I got to ask. So when you started testing out, you finally came to the coconut that you wanted to use. You found the not necessarily the brand, but the right coconut. How long was that process before you actually started bottling it and working on packaging and that sort of thing? Uh, you know, I mean, I move really, really fast because um, like many entrepreneurs, um, I'm impatient. I'm like, I want to get this to market. I don't want anyone else to beat me to it. Because when you think back to like six years ago, I mean, even to today, it's a really unique product. Like it's so... It's an amazing product because no one else is doing it. And it's so good for you. Everyone's doing coconut water. Everyone's doing Zico, mm-hmm. Vita Coco, Harmless Harvest, C2O, you know, Taste Nirvana, all coconut water. It has not been reinvented or innovated in 15 years. And that's really, to me, the greatest starting point, right? Is you're taking something that's archaic and stale and adding an, a completely new twist to it, which adds so much more value to the yeah. consumer, right? Like Tesla. It's like Tesla to... To Ford, right? Is right. genius to coconut water. And so, like in, in early 2014, we started doing flavor infusions. Like, I think this is this is the funny part, you know, in the story. When we started Genius Juice in 2014, we had 14 SKUs or 14 different products. Uh, we had seven flavors in two different sizes. We had an eight-ounce bottle, six, it was like all over the place, mm. you know. And a lot of money being spent in areas that really shouldn't have been spent on, you know, the learning, the learning process, right? We looked at all the sales data and we're like, which one is selling? We're like, we kind of take this, took a step back. Which one is selling the best out of these seven flavors? 
there's berry, kale, apple. By the way, the kale one was terrible. Terrible. <laughs> like I, I couldn't even drink it, and I'm the one who created it. <laughs> That's a really bad sign, right? That it's not good. It's like, and then I think my friend told me, he's like, yeah, I had the kale smoothie. I was on the toilet. It really helped cleanse things out. I mean, <laughs> people to be sitting on a toilet. <laughs> That's too good. You know, he's like, I was drinking it and then it just came right out. It was easy. I'm like, it's supposed to, you know, fortify you, not right. Cleanse, right? It's a smoothie. Uh, something was wrong there. So uh, we noticed that the top selling flavor, which is in every day and age in sales, go with the simplest flavor. Go with the one that's simple, clean, easy to understand, and not, not, it won't confuse the customer. And it was the original. Coconut water, coconut meat. And by the way, that was a last-minute addition to our line. That's so interesting. Yeah. We were like, we were like, we got to go with flavors because who's going to like pure coconut? It's too strong, right? Like, who's going to really like that? We're like, in order to make it tolerable to the American you know, consumer, to the American palate, there has to be berries in there. There has to be banana in there. There has to be chocolate in there. Last minute decision. We're like, you know what? Let's just do one without anything in it. You know, just coconut. Maybe there'll be a few coconut fans that just want pure whole coconut. <laughs> Ended up being 80% of our sales Wow, was the original. Wow. And we, we cut everything. <laughs> we cut everything <laughs> except That's- the original in 2015. And for three years, dude, for three years, one flavor. We built the whole company. Wow. Just the original. We also cut from two sizes. You know, it used to be eight ounce and 16 ounce. Mm -hmm. One size, 12 ounce for three years. And we built up the company to almost a million in revenue from one flavor. The last company to do anything like that, not to say I'm in the same level as this company, is Coca Cola. Mm -hmm. I was going to say. Classic Coke, one flavor, right? And they built it up to be billions in revenue. So I think the big thing is we learn simplicity is best and building out and starting small and doing a crawl, walk, run to develop the brand in the right way. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we think, doesn't matter what my formulator thinks, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what my investors think. It's about what do the consumers want? And it's listening to that and then pivoting yourself and being nimble to deliver what a consumer truly wants. That's interesting. The part that I find interesting is that you're talking about listening to what the consumer wants. And then I'm kind of relating that to your interest in psychology and what actually activates somebody to make a purchase or make some sort of decision in their life. Did you have anybody teaching you this along the way? Or was it something that you intuitively started doing on your own? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I have three role models, like people, like if I would say like three people that have really influenced me heavily in my life. First is my dad. Second is Don Henley of the Eagles, because I love music. And I really like he's an awesome singer and musician. Third is a friend that I met at Aflac. Uh, You know, this is a different friend from who I mentioned before. And I noticed that whenever we had, you know, when you know, like sales organizations have like galas and gatherings where you're all like, drinking and partying and like just having fun. I was kind of the guy that was there, not awkwardly in the corner, but definitely not the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And I learned from my friend who actually mentored me. I mean, he was a very popular guy, very outspoken, very extroverted. But what I learned from him is being fun, being light, listening, 
but also being genuine, right? Like not yeah. being fake. Like you can be fun, make people feel good by also being a genuine and very open and heartfelt person. And he had that balance going with him. And I hung around him a lot. And I learned a lot from him about how to act in social situations, not to speak too much, which I screw up all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And also listening and like truly finding out what does a person want. That's where, and that's where the human connection comes in when you're listening and finding out what a person wants. 100%. You can't teach that in a classroom, really. No. So I learned that from him. And, but the big thing is there's a reason why people watch. You know, whether it's American Idol or um, America's Got Talent or Shark Tank, one reason people watch it. Well, two. Number one, it's entertaining. Number two, you emotionally connect Mm -hmm. with the performer or the entrepreneur. Like there's an emotional connection to a point where sometimes, like, you, you know, I cry. Like if it's a really heartfelt story, I'm like, this is such a, what a story. To have that kind of connection and to connect with people on an emotional level is what I really learned along the way. You know, without going into too much in the weeds on it, our brand represents that. Mm. It's a great product on the inside of the bottle, right? It's a serious product on the inside, right? It's simple, it's clean, it's organic. But we also have a lot of fun with it, with the branding. Yeah. Like you keep it half serious, half fun. To like attract a consumer that is health conscious, but also they're going to notice it because it's screaming on the shelf. It has a big coconut head, you know, that's staring at you versus all the other brands that are very sterile and very plain in our yeah. set. So yeah. you got you got to also say, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at, you got to separate yourself from the pack some way somehow, and that was our way of doing it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. So I. I haven't had an opportunity to actually try Genius Juice yet. I meant to drive down to uh, Whole Foods. It's just a little tougher these days for whatever reason. I do distinctly remember seeing this multiple times uh, before I even knew like who you were. I think even before we tried to um, connect a couple years ago at Expo West because it's sitting on the shelf and it's like, dude, every, like Zico. I actually I like Zico. I was like a water type of thing, but all of those bottles look exactly the same and you can't really tell one from another. And then you see yours with the Cocostein on it, right? It definitely sticks out. And I don't know why I didn't buy it that day, but I remember distinctly seeing it for the first time. Speaking of that Expo West, when we tried to connect there and to the listener, a little context, like two years ago, we tried to do a quick interview at Expo West, which is a big natural products convention here in Anaheim. And it just didn't work out that day. I met with, or I think I tweeted with your publicist on Twitter or something like that. Didn't work out that day. No worries. But when we were doing the pre-interview before this one, you mentioned that you were really excited that it actually got pushed off because a lot has happened in the last two years. And I'd love to know like, what are some of the biggest parts of like, growth that have happened in the last two years? Like, were there any downfalls that you had to get through? I really want to learn about that story from you. The, one, the, challenge, the challenges we have not had is sales and branding and marketing. The product sells, they put it on the shelf, most of the time it moves. Not all the time, but most of the time. The challenging part has been production, manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I learned is that you know when you get into this business, you don't really know everything. You learn as you go. When you do something that is actually real from nature, that isn't watered down, no chemicals, no additives, it was, it was hard as hell or hard as F or whatever you want. Hard AF or yes. nowadays on, on Instagram. <laughs> nowadays, I sound like a, you know, an elderly person. <laughs> 
that you know it's it's tough man like when you're produced when you're making a product that's sourced exclusively from thailand you're working with co-ops and farmers the turnaround time is up to three months from when you place an order to when they have to crack open coconuts we have a full facility in thailand now crack them open take everything out put it into drums send it over to our facility here in orange county it, you know I, I can explain it in 30 seconds but it takes like three years to set all that up. Sure. So the biggest challenge to go back to your question, Mikhail, has been the supply chain and just getting the product. Number one, getting the product here, but also getting the quality to exactly what we wanted it to be at. Mm-hmm. Like an experience, right? In taste, texture. Coconut is a real crop, right? You know, it, it, you're, it, it, it doesn't grow at the same rate year round. The water changes from high season to low season. The meat of the coconut changes high season to low season. So it's all about pinpointing and getting the optimum coconut, right, for your product, right? Because the taste could change in the course of a year because we're using a real product. Of course. And it's a challenge in the U.S. culture because, as you know, like people want it the same every time. Like... Every time they open a bottle, they want it to taste the same, be the same, same texture. And early on, we'd have one bottle that would be thick and creamy. And we have another bottle that's like thin and little bits of coconut meat in it. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much we explain, it's a real crop. It's not like it's available year round. We source it from Thailand. People didn't care. Most people didn't care. All they see is what their experience is. This is not the same as last time. Something must be wrong. I'm not going to buy this again. So the biggest challenge was streamlining it, getting the production right, getting the product right. And luckily, you know, we have great partners, great manufacturing partners, great investors, and we've been able to work towards that to create a truly streamlined product. And I, I can't get into the big, you know, how we made that happen. There's a lot of moving things around, producing at a certain time of the year, getting the right type of coconut. It takes a massive amount of work and planning to do that. But at the end of the day, if you want to make it big in this business, if you want to be in Publix, if you want to be in Costco, if you want to be in Kroger, if you want to be in Safeway, you have to have a streamlined, consistent product year-round. You know, Whole Foods, you can get away with it, right? You can have a different product because you know the education's higher. Mm-hmm. People don't mind it as much. They're more adventurous in the Whole Foods. When it comes to a more mass market retailer, People are more like, I want it the same every time, right? right? Expectations. So that's been the biggest learning curve is we're launching in Publix, Target. We launched in Publix, launched in HEB. Nice. Texas. Um, Are you from here, by the way? Or were you born in the Philippines? I'm from here. I was born in LA. Okay. So, uh, but you travel. So like, you know, these are stores that are exclusively in certain states, but you nodded like, okay, you know, this, some people don't know the stores. They yeah, we deal a lot with natural products. So like HEB, Publix, like all these things. I'm like, all right, all right, cool, cool, cool. Like I'm really excited to hear all that actually. It just shows how much you're growing and how much success you've had over the last couple of years. Yeah, so we, we really crossed that chasm, right? And I just want to, you know, some people don't even know these stores because they've like haven't gone to any stores outside of California. But mm-hmm. good to know that, you know, you're definitely more experienced in this. You know a lot about the industry. and But these are great. As you know, these are like top-notch stores. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're a big competitor to Whole Foods. Publix, 
rules in Florida. <laughs> yeah. H-E-B rules in Texas. Right. You know, they, they are, people are so loyal, right, to those chains in these states. Whole yeah. Foods still has a great share and a lot of loyal customers, but it's hard to compete with a big retailer in one state that, that just dominates that state. So we've had great retailer uh, partnerships, but it's been interesting to cross that chasm to go from Whole Foods, which we're still dedicated to, we still take care of them, like we love the partnership, we're still growing with them. But to grow a brand, you got to go beyond that. Right. You got to go to a, main, a mainstream retailer. And that's really our next step now is doing that. So it's fun. It's fun to see that a product that's so artisanal and healthy is now in a store at three ninety nine, and someone in the that's middle of Florida or Texas can buy it. Yeah, you know? and they can be healthier too. They can feel better as well. Yeah, man, that's so that's that's incredible. And before we like move on in the conversation, congratulations on just getting that far. I've had the opportunity to interview a ton of people, work with a lot of people who are trying to get a product off the ground and just the idea that you've been able to do this in a relatively short amount of time. Like if the first time you packaged was in 2014, actually that's six years now. Wow. I thought it was 2018 just now. Yeah. Well, the, you know, so there's more to the story, which probably will be for like a part two or something, but we had to reboot. Mm. So that was another challenge is we lost our, uh, we had a co-packer, we had a place making the product. Mm-hmm. And we lost that relationship and we had nowhere to make the product Wow! for a year. So we, from 2014 to 16, we were making it basically there on and off. And when they stopped making it for us and we dissolved the partnership, we had no product for almost a year. What was the motivation to keep going after you put in that much work and you know lost that partnership? I, I feel like you know, I went through a business partnership separation too, and I felt like the world was crumbling down. But luckily, I went, I pushed through that. But what was the thing for you? I can only imagine the heartbreak in all of that with all the work that you put into it. Yeah, I mean, I had a real, I had a real serious decision, which is like, do I just move on because it's not in the stars and it's not meant to be, or do I keep going? And I think two things came to my mind. Number one, the product is too good to not do it. If if our sales like sucked or something, then I would be reconsidering, right? Like maybe right. I should, maybe I shouldn't go to CBD or something, you know, <laughs> something hot, you know, like coconut, coconuts yesterday. Let's go into freaking, you know, let's go into collagen, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm laughing extra hard because these are literally like two of our biggest clients is like <laughs> collagen and CBD. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> would you have thought, would you have thought like even five years ago, that collagen, which is used in Beverly Hills, would be like you just main, drink it a main staple. They would drink it. You would take yeah. it as supplements, and they just got bought by Nestle. Yeah, for like hundreds of millions. I'm just like wow. So you know that that shows you that in this industry things are pivoting so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like so you got to be on the you got to have your finger on the pulse. But going back to it, like going through that, I'm like I can either give up. And, and start something else, or I know the sales are really good. Mm. I know the product is selling. I know that people want it. The problem we're having is supply. So if I can get the supply strained out, if I build it, they will come, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I got to rebuild this freaking thing. And so I ended up getting new partners in Thailand. You know, they invested in us, they started making the product for us. And the owner said, 
it was, I never, I'll never forget this conversation because we were like, you know, we were on our way out and he, I was on the phone with him and I've known him because he supplied coconuts to us already. <laughs> and he said, Alex, like your drive, your passion, your perseverance. I know that if we pick you up and we get you going again and we're backing you, this could be successful mm-hmm. because of the, you know, the product, but really most importantly, you and your team. I believe in you. My investors believe in you. You know, we're going to make this happen together. And it was so beautiful that someone like in my time of need said, I see what you're doing. I acknowledge you. I know you can be successful. You just had a bad break. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you that second shot to make it right. And we got the second shot. We were in zero stores in 2000, late 2017, zero stores, zero stores. And then we got back into production in October, November, 2017. And now we're in 2,400, you know, two and a half years. And we got on Shark Tank, we got more investment money. So it goes to show you, sometimes when you're at the the brink of like total destruction (laughs) or failure, that's when you push through and when you find the most strength to get through that, you know? I love that, man, so much. And it's funny that you mentioned that in some of those, uh, like American Idol, maybe it's Shark Tank. For me, sometimes it's Undercover Boss. Like when I watch those things, like I get really worked up. I have cried a couple of times during Shark Tank. It's because you know that hustle, you know the what went into that. And they finally get this moment where everything seemed to work out. And in your spot, it would be that reinvestment from the uh, Taiwanese partner, yeah, Thai partner. And it's good to hear that. It's rad. Like I can't tell you enough. Like even you know, maybe we're halfway through this or something. But the energy that I get from you and how hard I know that you work toward this is just incredible. And I think it's just, I don't know. I'm excited for that moment for you, and um, I- I'm just excited about the success that you've had so far. What is up, you lovely listeners? Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I did want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, MikeMe.com. MikeMe has helped this podcast sound incredible over the last year and a half, and I put out every single episode with 100% confidence that it's going to sound amazing and it's going to be absolutely legit. Not to mention, having them work on my show has helped save an incredible amount of time and headache for me. So it's been one of the best investments that I've made in a very, very long time. If you have a podcast or you're looking to start your own, be sure to go to mikeme.com forward slash oversharing. Again, that's mikeme.com, M-I-C-M-E.com forward slash oversharing. And you'll get an episode edited for free when you purchase one of their podcast bundles. This is an incredible service. You're absolutely going to love it and you're going to love the team. But before I speak too much, let's get back to the episode. When you got on Shark Tank, where were you in the business at this point? The episode was taped in mid-2019 and we were at I think we were in about 700 or 600 stores, six to 700, and we were under a million in revenue. I think we were at about 500,000 a year in revenue. We just released the flavors. You know, we had three flavors instead of just the one original. So we were, we were really, really early stage. I mean, like a lot of the brands on there, you know, sure. whether it's Mush, you know, my buddies at Mush, I know yeah. them really well. They were at 200,000, now they're at 15 million. Super Coffee, yeah. they were at nothing. And now they're at 70 million in revenue. It worked out well because we needed that exposure. We needed that bump just to get people to buy the product, not only online, but also in stores to go out and find the product. We were very early stage. And um, the one thing, just a shout out, if any of the sharks, you know, 
tune into this. I mean, I actually have Mark Cuban's cell phone number. Second time. <laughs> he gives it out to everyone, you know, like yeah. he does, he's like, this is my cell phone number. I'm like, but yeah, it's just another number that you never answer. You right. know? <laughs> the burner. But, yeah, exactly. So I think like, you know, reaching out to him, you know, just to really say thank you because they love the product on the show. They genuinely like that was the big payoff for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what I'm doing is right. It's been validated before, but to go on a show, to have four people that have never, you know, five, I think, that have never tried the product, including Rohan Oza, who is called the brand father. Mm-hmm. As you know, he created and helped create vitamin water and smart water. And uh, I mean, he's, he's a legend. Yeah. They all love the product. They love the concept. Um, they loved how it was functional, how it was a smoothie, how it was a complete twist and innovation on an existing category. So that was a big payoff to me that they loved it. And the other thing is I didn't get reamed on the show like most people do. Yeah. You know, not to toot my own horn too much here, but the fact is they were not able to stump me. You know, they kept throwing questions at me like, dude, how about this? Oh, refrigerated distribution, it's so hot, you know, like Rohan saying that. Yeah. And I came right back at him and said, You've invested in refrigerated brands. Yeah. It's all about not being, you know, not being an asshole, but definitely standing your own. Yeah. And being able to handle objections and stand on your own and really just be powerful in that moment. And I felt like I delivered. It was not easy because I was probably having a nervous breakdown uh, the day before. Like, <laughs> you you can tell on the show for sure. Can't tell. I mean, uh, you know, I, I wasn't like that bad, but I definitely was like nervous. I was stressed out. So just the anticipation was really brutal because you're like, I'm going in front of three million people. What if I screw up? What if they say? What if they hate the product? I mean, it, it can go the, into a negative area, right? They can say, I hate the product, and your sales actually go down. That's how powerful the show is, mm-hmm. right? So I was really nervous about that. But then I said, you know what? I've been through way worse. You know, I've been through way more stress. I was down to nothing. And then I built it right back up. So I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to share our story and inspire them. And it worked. What type of impact has Shark Tank had on your product, your brand, your company? It's been huge. I mean, everything is fleeting, right? Like you can't depend on the Shark Tank bump forever. In the first like month or so, not even a month, within two weeks, we got a quarter million in sales just online. So, you know, through GeniusJuice.com, plug, and and Amazon also. But go to GeniusJuice.com first. Yes. Yeah, it's better for us. So um, that, our online sales skyrocketed in the first two months after Shark Tank aired. It kind of came back down to earth, but it was definitely higher than it was from the start. And it's been sustained for the last like four or five months. Also, it attracted investors to come in. Mm -hmm. No matter how much I can tell someone, the product's great, we're growing, we're in new retailers. When they see that your brand is on Shark Tank, it just elevates the excitement so much. Yeah. Because it's a proof of concept, and they know that a lot of people are now demanding this product. And luckily, all four, all five sharks said on air, "I love this product. This is good stuff." Mister Wonderful held up the bottle and said, 
like, this is amazing. I love this. Yeah. So you can't ask for better advertising, really. Yeah. So it was a very immense bump. But like anything, you can't rest on your laurels. It's going to last for two to three months. But then it's what you do with that, you know, from that success and how you keep it going, right? What are you doing with that right now? Because that episode only aired a couple months ago, right? Uh, five months ago. Five yeah. months ago. Cool. How have you kind of built off that success? How are you ha- handling it right now? And what are some of the plans that you put in place to continue to expand? Yeah, I mean, at this point, what's what's interesting is like, you know, when we first aired on Shark Tank, we used it as a crutch. Like, oh man, we're on Shark Tank, got to bring our product in. Now that we're at a new, new stage of growth, we don't really have to lean on it as much anymore. Nice. Like we have the momentum now. You know, we're at a almost a three million run rate. You know, we were at four hundred, five hundred thousand when we when we we're on the show. So now we're growing. We have momentum. There's proof of concept, and what's is retailers are now approaching us to bring in the product, which is cool for a change. We don't have to keep knocking on people's doors all day, but we're still being very. I think the big thing and kind of getting into COVID. Mm-hmm. Is we're really focusing, you know, retail is our number one, no matter what. We're right. More in sales and retail. But selling online has been really, really crucial for us. When Shark Tank aired, you know, it was before COVID hit, right? It was in January. Right. And when COVID started really escalating, all those people that found us on Shark Tank and online and bought online, I mean, we got 4,000 new customers overnight, you know, mm. from Shark Tank. All those individuals were rebuying it and repurchasing on there. And we now have a digital marketing manager, you know, a CTO, and he is retargeting those people to continue getting them to buy the product. And I think what's great is that we have a product that's actually really, really good for people. It's anti-inflammatory, it's filling, like, you know, it, it gives you energy, like it's everything that you need during a time where everything is uncertain mm-hmm. and your health could be at risk. It's like the perfect thing, right? We felt proud that we're not like selling, you know, monster or something, you know, like we're selling like like something that actually will help people, not crush people. Or and, that you had to do some cheesy like rebrand and say like immunity boost and it's like you're you're an asshole right now. You actually had something from the get that was always good for somebody. Exactly. Like we weren't selling like genius face masks or anything like that, you know? So, or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or genius, or coconut hand sanitizer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like coconut oil sanitizer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, so we just we stuck with our roots. And I think, like, if you look at any success, someone is doing something right for many, many years. And then, like, the right conditions come in to allow that to just blossom. And that's, that's exactly what we do. We stuck with our morals, with our ethics. We work incredibly hard. And the opportunity came in and we took what we already had and worked on and built as a foundation. And we just built it up and up and up. A hundred percent. I want to talk about that real quick because I think that's super important. I mean, you started in 2014. You had maybe your six-year anniversary, which is relatively similar to us actually, which is kind of funny. You tried hundreds of different coconuts before you landed on the right one. You found a co-packer, lost a co-packer, got a re-up um, with your investor, got on Shark Tank, all of these things. And now you're, I feel as if finally maybe seeing 
the some of the fruits of your labor. Can you talk about patience throughout that whole thing? Because a lot of people think it's an overnight success. And if I had no context on you before, maybe you feel that. But like there was like five years, if not, you know, there's like five years where maybe nothing really moved around and finally you're taken off type of thing. So how, how have you been patient the whole time? How do you not like, I don't know, how do you not give up? How do you not get, <laughs> yeah, go crazy? Yeah. You know, I think part of it is knowing that it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint, you know, and then having a long-term goal and working backwards from that. I mean, it's literally as simple as that. Like our goal is that we want to build genius up and sell it Mm -hmm. to someone who hopefully continues to keep the brand the way it is, keep the product the way it is and not devalue it. And we'll be very careful about selecting the right partner for that. So it's kind of like my goal and our goal collectively is to be acquired by X date. How do we get there? So when there's measurable measurable goals along the way, it makes it more attainable mm-hmm. and you have a purpose. You have a finish line. Right. There's a, a very, very quick story that like always really stuck with me as far as like business planning, just kind of getting into the, I don't know, the, the Gary Vaynerchuk or whatever, or, you know, I don't know. There are there was a set of Navy SEAL, I think it was Navy SEALs, the captain or the commander said, I want you guys in training camp to run as much as you can, just like until you until you can't run anymore. And these are trained Navy SEALs, they're ripped, perfect. I mean, their lung capacity, enormous. Of I think it was like 50 people or 50 Navy SEALs, only I think five percent ran 26.2 miles. Because there was, you know, they were just running, right? There was no finish line. It was just keep running until you're too tired to run and you collapse. And a lot of them didn't make it, right? They didn't go 26.2 miles. But then you look at a marathon where you have old people, kids, people that are not in as good of a shape as a Navy SEAL. They almost all finish the race, like 90% finish the race. So anyway, my long diatribe here is really just if you have a finish line on where you want to aim for, mm-hmm. it motivates you every day to actually get there and setting small goals along the way. So that's what you got to kind of psych yourself up for that. You got to be like, okay, I want to be at 5 million this year. I need to do this, this, and this. I need to hire this person, this person, this person. I need to raise this much money to actually get there. And then you get there like, what's next? Right. And then you get yeah. to the next goal. So I find that setting many goals and many milestones, as cliche as it sounds, is kind of a psychology thing where it keeps you going and keeps you motivated versus trying to think about too far ahead, mm-hmm. right? And it just becomes really daunting and really intimidating. And I don't like to... You know, I like to think ahead, but I don't like to be intimidated by the future. So I focus on what can we do now to achieve our goals? And that's really worked. Uh, as far as being patient, I'm, I'm impatient. Even though it's been six years, um, I'm still very impatient. It took a long time to get here. But now that we have all the nuts and bolts in place, I'm like, okay, now I'm getting impatient because I want to push this harder. Like, I want to get this to 20 million. You know, now we're at three to five million. Like, I want to get this to 20, 30, 40 million. So I'm looking at the next steps there. I guess part of me is never satisfied. That's a good value to have. Uh, but I also think in a curse. It's a blessing and a curse because my mentors say, they're like, Alex, you just explained that you got into these new retailers, you know, you raised money, whatever, you know, whatever we did, whatever I, I and my team have achieved. And, and my mentor said, you never celebrate. So I think I, I, think I have like, G, like, like Steve Jobs-itis, 
or something. <laughs> he never celebrated. He's like, good job team. Now get back to work. You know? Yeah. So I like that. I like a part of that, but it's always, I think, very important to like acknowledge yourself and celebrate and take a step back, take a breath back, take a step back, take a breath and just look at everything that you've accomplished. I think that's very important to have perspective. I love that, man. That's super powerful. I just love the mindset behind it and everything that you shared today. So thank you so much for that. Before I ask you the last question of today, Alex, if somebody wants to connect with you, how can they find you? Uh, There's really two ways. Well, I would say just one way, uh, by email. So you can go on, uh, you know, uh, log on. What am I talking about? Go to your, go to your mail client. <laughs> I'm losing my mind here. My email is alex at geniusjuice, like genius, like a genius juice, like a juice you drink, dot com. Alex at geniusjuice.com. Um, you can also email hello at geniusjuice.com. And I think what I want to do is I'm going to do a um, promo code just for your listeners. I love that. It needs to be a name that's easy that someone can spell when they put in the promotion code. I'm going to do 30% off for two days whenever you air this episode. It's going to be live Mm -hmm. for that day and the day after. But what name should I use that's fitting to um, your podcast? It can be uh, Mick, M-I-Q-K. M-I-Q-K. Okay. Won't be too hard for anyone to... No, they'll know. Okay. Your followers will know. (laughs) <laughs> they'll know right guys <laughs> <laughs> my mom's like yeah i know <laughs> i love that man thank you so much for that that's so cool and thank you so much for everything that you shared today last question man i gotta ask when is volume two of coco stein's tracks gonna drop like we need another single out soon i know i know i've been thinking about that because of the uh how big the exposure was from the first video. I, I think I got to do it sooner than later, for sure. I got to ride, you know, ride the wave. Uh, so my answer is, I don't know. But let me, I'll, I'll comfortably say by the end of 2020, just to give myself some runway here, that I will have, maybe I'll do like a Christmas album, you know? Oh, that's smart. I like that. <laughs> here comes coconuts here. Come coconut string from the coconut now. Or I don't know. I'll think of something. <laughs> my mind is blown. That was amazing. Uh, <laughs> you have an emoji with the mind blown. I used to put that on the screen. Yeah, a hundred percent. To the listener, thank you so much for your time and attention. We really appreciate it. If you love the episode, please give us a five-star review. And if you didn't like it that much, feel free to stick it to us, but subscribe anyway, because we're going to have a ton of incredible people just like Alex Bayer back in the show. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks, Mikhail, for having me. It was a pleasure. hundred percent. 